Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate, I already hate it. I hate it. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, up there in New York City, John Taylor of Fangraphs.com, a very good Major League Baseball website that you should go check out if you have not already subscribed to Fangraphs.com. John, yes, how are you, sir? I am doing well. How about you? Not too bad. Not too bad. Um, do you, like when you go through, um, just the take graphs of the week here mm-hmm. and to prepare each week, are yes. you now bouncing ideas off the girlfriend? Is it in the, the Slack channel on fan graphs? Uh, like what's no, happening? I, I usually just sit there and think to myself, what is the most outrageous thing I can say that I could at least like 20% back up mm-hmm. that doesn't involve the Oakland A's? Um, just because I, you know, I, everything about the A's is just so kind of unbelievable at this point that it's like it doesn't matter how accurate it is. It just sounds insane. Do you know they have an ERA of like eight on the season? <laughs> you like, can be talking about the, the A's. Like everything's ridiculous. Like where they're moving, what they're buying to tear down, what the yeah. product's on the field is, what's happening I, in the I press like box. That, you could mean anything when saying, I can't believe the A's. I like that their binding agreement apparently is not a binding agreement and that they've also found a new agreement that is going to cost them even more than the old agreement. Like everything is just going very well for the Oakland Athletics right now. Good for them. Good for good for her. Her? She must be funny or something. I I just hope that I think we have a pretty pretty good Arrested Development uh listenership here. I feel like there's I, a I lot of crossover so. between us really and so uh arrested development um but my wife still god bless her she she watched season four a lot for some mm-hmm. reason and i just my brain doesn't retain anything past season three for for ad and she'll make these references and she's like you have no idea what i'm talking about do you and i'm like i nope. have zero clue <laughs> zero clue um look i don't understand the point of having watched anything beyond season three so that's just me i just prefer it ended with I fought the law. Oh, no. Hold on. Uh, no, I fought the law. The law one. But then it was... Uh, what is it? Bob blah. Da, 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 da. What? The Bob blah, blah blog? Yeah, but there was the other one. The judge where you have Daniel Hung. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What judge Reinhold and the William Hung jury. Yeah. Hung trial with J. Reinhold. Hung trial with J. Reinhold. Is it yeah, they, they really leaned into that one very Judge Reinhold. Joke. Maybe that was it. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was Judge Reinhold. Judge Reinhold. Yeah. <laughs> with judge ryan home uh it's a great jingle it's uh it's a great jingle uh john taylor yes it's time it is your take graph take of the week is what sir uh your al mvp for 2023 i'm just gonna lean in and just say every syllable masa Uh, taka yo shida 
The best hitter in baseball right now. Can y'all just focus on beating the Braves once? It's a two-game series. What does it even matter? <laughs> also, you got to face Nick Pavetta. Like, it barely counts. Mm-hmm. Look, I, I, I'm not gonna lie. I'm if you go back and listen to the episodes where we talk about the Red Sox, all 350,000 of them at this point. Um, I'm sure that in talking about this offseason, Yoshida came up because he was pretty much the major offseason acquisition mm. on Boston's part this season, and. I'm sure that I was not terribly sanguine about his prospects. You know, mm-hmm. I think between his age, between the scouting comps that were coming out that basically made him sound like Andrew Benintendi, but less good at defense, between the you contract... You just being hurt at the Red Sox moves to that point, just yeah, putting just you in a the, dark the place. The fact that it was Bloom making the move. Yes. Like, I, I had kind of figured, okay, maybe the best case scenario is this guy is like Brett Gardner with a little more power or something. Mm. Turns out, no, he's actually just Juan Soto, I guess. Like, and, and I, I should, uh, I'll preface, I, I'm already going to just un, like just undermine the whole point of take graphs. So, like, no, he, Masataki Yoshida, who is currently, who had a 16-game hit streak and last night against Atlanta, who has a 146 WRPC+, plus, was a 388 on base percentage, was swung and missed like once in the last three weeks. Not this good a hitter going forward, probably not, no. But I mean, his nickname is Macho Man, so are we sure? He's very strong, and I think we should we should respect that. I love that his nickname is Macho Man. But I think what is noteworthy about him, and I think what makes him a player that I am increasingly just convinced is actually going to be like an above average, at least hitter. I think defensively mm. he's he's quite poor, and, and as a base runner he doesn't really bring anything to the table. But just purely as a hitter, mm. is to look at what he's done so far this season, and the really the particular and the unique way he's assembled it, because this is a guy who quite literally just doesn't strike out. Mm. You know, you look at, you look at his, uh, at his, um, at his numbers, he has a swing strike rate of six and a half percent. That's it. That That's like Luisa Raya's levels of swinging strikes, except the Yoshida also has an isolated power of about two Oh five, mm. which is basically peak trout. Those numbers don't really belong together. And on top of that, he's running a walk rate around 10% too. Mm. He's got a walk rate of about 10%, a strikeout rate of about 10%, uh, an isolated power of about 200. Michael Bauman wrote a piece for us at Fangraphs today noting that that's the kind of production you used to see out of basically peak Albert Pujols, mm. you know, out of Barry Bonds in his kind of sort of pre-steroidal prime, out of, out of that's a, those are real Vlad Sr. numbers, you know? And I think it's funny when you look at the entire package with regards to Yoshida, it's kind of, if you squint, you can, I, I think, you know, thinking about it now, the player that Yoshida kind of reminds me a lot of is Vlad Sr. in that way. And granted, I don't think he has th- quite the level of bat control that Vlad Sr. does, but I don't think anyone alive has ever had quite the bat control Vlad Sr. has. But you see something similar when you watch him take at-bats where he just does not, he really controls the strike zone, he really mm. controls the bat, he does not swing and miss, he doesn't get fooled, he makes contact, he makes a ton of contact. Sometimes it's it's a lot of contact on the ground, and I think the other name that that Michael mentioned in his Yoshida article that makes a lot of sense to me is um, is Christian Yelich, who's kind of a mm. similar ground ball oriented hitter at this point in time, but one with a good amount of power still. It, it's a really it's a really strange package because hitters just like this don't really exist in the major leagues anymore, mm. you know, the, or at the very least, if they did not so much maybe don't don't exist. But it's like this is not common to see this kind of hitter where they walk a good amount, but they also don't strike out, but they also hit for power. Like usually, you lose one of those three things in the exchange, and the three mm. true outcomes. One of those three kind of ends up dominating the other, or you just have guys who are like, well, I don't mind striking out because that's you know I'm, I'm gripping and ripping the whole time or what have you. Mm. So. You know, it's for Yoshida, it it really is a special package of tools, I think. And again, not a guy, not an all, not an all around great player. Again, the defense is is not is not ideal, and the base running is not great. But I really do feel like this is a legitimately good hitter who is going to be part of that. Maybe not the MVP conversation because you know Shohei Otani does exist among Aaron Judge and others. But a guy who I think, you know, if you're looking might, at his numbers... I don't know. Judge might miss too many games this year. We'll see. That is a persistent potential issue with Monsieur Judge. But mm. I think it's something where if you're looking at the stats and you're looking at the kind of leader, you know, stat leaders around the league and you're seeing Yoshida's name and you're going, well, what the heck? Who the... Like, how? Like, this guy doesn't mm. make any sense. Well, it does. Like, it, it's one of those things where I, I think the, the thing that I... That is blows my mind most about Masataki Yoshida, um, as you know, and as 
most of your listeners know, StatCast on the Baseball Savant has StatCast stats that include expected stats, mm-hmm. um, which are, you know, just based on a whole variety of factors. But, you know, more or less, like, if you combine all these numbers, this is usually what you would end up with. Mm-hmm. So I just, I want to run a couple numbers by you, and these are all as of um, through uh, Monday, so not including Tuesday's game. Okay. We could include uh, it, though. John? What happened Yeah, but that night? would involve me doing math, and I don't feel like doing that. But, like, what? Oh. That was the that was the Braves. One I'm ignoring the setup. Like I'm I'm just letting <laughs> it slide on past. Best team in baseball. <sighs> Best team in baseball without like a functioning rotation. Wow. I know we're getting we're we're, we're going back and forth wow. here. But let me <laughs> let me give you some Masataka Yoshida numbers. Okay. Mm-hmm. Three twenty one batting average, a four oh two weighted on base average, a mm-hmm. five thirty six slugging percentage, a four oh three weighted batting at sorry a four oh three weighted on base average. Uh, 403 Wobicon mm-hmm. to use the whole convoluted acronym, which is basically what his weighted on base average is based on the con the quality of contact he makes. Mm-hmm. So again, 321 batting average, 402 weighted on base average, 536 slugging percentage, 403 Wobicon. And I just want to note first, the Woba and the Wobicon are essentially identical. You know, this guy is is legit is legitimately getting what he gets. But here's the fun one. Here mm-hmm. are the expected bat. Here are the expected stats. Expecting batting average, 309. So he's he's tw- uh, 12 points off of that, or 12 points higher than that. Mm. Expected Woba, 406. That's a four-point difference. Expected slugging percentage, 537. A one-point difference. And expected Wobacon of 397 or a six-point difference. Based on what StatCast is just seen out of his output without looking at anything else, it thinks he should be hitting 309 with a 537 slugging percentage and a 406 Woba. He's actually hitting 321 with a 536 slugging percentage and a 402 Woba. That's incredible to me. Like, how often do you get guys who just line up that ideally, that just that just accurately with what the stats essentially tell you is supposed to be the case? That's that it to me is an incredible thing. So I I really have to say, like, there have been a lot of really cool hitting performances so far. You know, I can't discount. I'll, I'll give I'll 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 throw some flowers on your Braves. You know, I can't discount how good Ronald Acuna looks. I can't just, you know, Sean Murphy has apparently, I'd say gone back in time. Did you know Sean Murphy made his MLB debut in 2019? He hasn't even been in the league that long. And you, if it, you told me 2019 or like 2014, I would have believed you either way. Exactly. Like, but either way, yeah. Sean Murphy, apparently the best hitting He was actually in, in Moneyball. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was the, you know, it, it, it wasn't actually Jeremy Brown. It was Sean Murphy mm. in disguise. Yes. Um, you know, uh, Wander Franco has had a great start to the season. Bo Bichette, mm. Marcus Semien, James Altman has been so good for the Dodgers, has been one of their lifesavers. Masataka Yoshida, though, maybe the maybe my favorite so far, just because of the sheer shape of his production, is it, it really it really is unique. You know, yeah. there are there are no other hitters really like this in baseball right now. And I think that's just you're all in john you're glowing this is just happy john taylor because he went in this is why keep your expectations low folks because this man was like we should just play the tapes if just john it'd be really fun if you actually had them queued up right now. i know all the red sox tapes and john is just glowing about the boston red sox in the early part of may here in this major league baseball season he is is so happy and she does an awesome potential superstar like if andrew friedman called heimbloom right now and was like what about Mookie Betts for Yoshida straight up? You know what you're doing? You're hanging I'm up the phone. I'm trading him for Mookie Betts. Like, oh. what, what are we doing here? No, I... It, look, as long as we don't talk about the Red Sox pitching staff, all, mm-hmm. is, all is good for me, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's how I feel right now. Like, the Braves... Yeah, just, no... I, like, <laughs> this is why I, you just need so many freaking arms. This sport's just cruel. So many it arms. It really is. And, like, I, it, it's amazing how quickly it feels like every team... You know, we talked about the Yankees be like, oh, Garrett Cole and Carlos Rodon and Luis Severino and Frankie Montes. And and like, th- you know, two months later, they don't have three of those guys, although yep. Severino should be back soon. You know, we talk about the Braves and their rotation. They're down Kyle Wright, and now they're probably out Max Freed until at least the All-Star break, which is yep. just a brutal, brutal one for them. Obviously, the saving grace there. And this, I think, would have been my backup take graph that uh, the NL East is a two-team race now between Atlanta and Philadelphia. Because I want to go ahead and bury the Mets. But I'm going to bury the Mets? Hold on. Give me a minute on burying the Mets. Why are you tempted to bury the Mets right now, John? Have you seen how they have been playing lately? And again, talking about teams where the rotations have fallen apart, uh, Max Scherzer apparently is a sticky stuff abuser and also is hurt. Justin Verlander has made all of, I think, now two starts this season. You know, and now he's being counted on for a a ton on top of that. Uh, Jose Quintana, hurt. 
David Peterson, bad, and also, I think, now hurt. Uh, that rotation is a real problem for them. Mm. And as I think we've kind of talked about, you know, when we talked about the Mets in the offseason, there's not, you know, the strategy they had, there was not a whole lot of available major league depth, or better said, I think, the rotation in particular, there was a lot they had to add to it because of what they lost in the process. Carlos Carrasco is the other pitcher I'm thinking of, who apparently will be back relatively soon, but still did not pitch well before getting going on the injured list, may have been hurt, but also not a guy I think who's going to be any level of difference maker at this point in his career. Like, I really worry about the Mets and how they're supposed to keep runs off off the board because the other problem with, the other problem with them is their bullpen is not good either. Yeah. And I think we knew that already at the start of the season was going to be a problem, particularly once they lost Edwin Diaz. Mm. You know, that that was that was always going to be... Yeah. You know, I think if you'd, if you'd asked us flash forward to the deadline, what are the Mets doing? I would have said, well, they're probably getting a reliever. At least one, probably two, maybe three. Yeah. Now you talk about what are the Mets going to do at the deadline? You're sitting there thinking, well, they probably need, they definitely need a reliever. They probably need a starter. I could imagine they need a bat somewhere else in there too. Catchers kind of, there are some real issues with them that I don't really know how they solve them right now, Hmm. especially because they've already got Francisco Alvarez and Brett Batty up in the majors, you know? Yeah. There's not exactly another big top prospect kind of waiting down there in their system unless they want to call up Ronnie Mauricio to do, I don't even know what exactly, but I'm worried about the Mets. I am genuinely worried, but I want to give them another week to see how things shake out. In particular, too, I want to see... Because a lot of with the Mets right now, they've they've been playing some terrible teams and playing badly against those terrible teams, which I think is also another kind of really worrisome sign is, you know, they are playing down to the level of competition and also getting blown out of the water by that level of competition. So that's its own problem uh, on its own. Brett Batty looks like he's going to be a player, though. He does look like he's going to be a player, but I think... uh, here's here's an upcoming stretch for the Mets that I think is going to tell us a lot. So this week, they are playing Cincinnati and then four games at Washington. That already on its own is going to tell us a lot. If they lose that series, I'm really, really out on the Mets. Mm. After that, three games against Tampa, three games against Cleveland, three games at Chicago, three games at Colorado, three games against Philadelphia, three games against Toronto, three games at Atlanta, three games at Pittsburgh, two games against the Yankees, Three games against the Cardinals, three games at the Astros, three games at the Phillies, four games at the Brewers. I'm, I've basically gone all the way through June at this point. Point being, there are not a whole lot of uh, pit stops in the upcoming month plus of the season for them. Mm. Even the ones that, you know, even a team like Colorado where it's like, okay, the Rockies stink. Those are still three games at Coors. Yeah. The least fun place in the world for opposing teams to play baseball. And in between, they have Phillies, a series against the Rays, the best team in baseball. The Phillies, right behind or right, you know, above them in the division. The Braves, obviously, above them in the division. The Blue Jays, who are great. The Pirates, who are slumping, but you know, still very clearly not a. I, I think the Pirates are neither as good as we've seen nor as bad as they've been recently. But regardless, a Subway series that always just takes way too much oxygen and just ends up being a, a just anxiety-inducing mess for everyone involved. The Astros, the Astros, the Phillies again. Like there, this this was the easy portion of their season. You know, the Mets the Mets have already had a lot of easy games. They've already played Oakland. They've they've played the Nationals three times. They'll play them four more. They already have seven games against the Nationals out of the way. Three games against the Rockies at home. Three games against the Reds. Three games against the Tigers. Like, they have not made hay in the portion of the schedule where they really needed to. Hmm. You know, they're two games below 500, and they don't really... And aside, again, from that series against the Nationals coming up uh, this weekend and wrapping into the beginning of next week... They don't really get another easy opponent the rest of the way unless, you know, you count either Colorado, which, again, at Coors, or a three-game series with St. Louis in about a month, which St. Louis is its own incredible problem right now. Um, and by the way, I'm already going to start taking my victory lap. I was going to say, John, I mean, playoffs. we have a whole Cardinal section here, but you're, I mean, look, you nailed that. I mean, I think we need to get a Fangraphs uh, writer into St. Louis sooner rather than later to ask about uh, Jack Flaherty's fastball velocity. Look, he hasn't gotten I, enough. I don't know what's so complicated to understand about Jack Flaherty sometimes when he wants to subtracts eight miles an hour velocity off his fastball for reasons that should be patently obvious to everyone. Mm-hmm. What are those reasons? He does not need to explain them to you. Yeah, you don't know ball. You don't know ball, and Jack Flaherty knows that, but... For me, it's like the Mets are really coming into the portion of this calendar now where they, they can't they can't afford to keep playing like this because they're already... Uh, how many games behind Atlanta are they right now? Nine? Ten? Too many. Too many. They are a lot of games behind Atlanta. And again, yeah. while Atlanta has its I own I say all problems, that and I'm like, what were the Mets up on the Braves in June last year? <laughs> <laughs> but while the, the Braves certainly have their own problems, like you can't let that deficit keep growing. 
You know, you have to start chipping away at it at some point. And I, I just, I worry with the Mets that they don't really have the horses at the moment to do it. And a lot of this is just going to depend on, okay, you know, can they get Scherzer back in some semblance of not just health, but also, you know, his earlier form, you know, can the lineup be on They were up Pete 10 and a half games on June 1st. Okay. So it's, it's not impossible. And if you're a Mets mm-hmm. fan, you're either somewhere between the season is over or the Braves did it to us. Why can't we do it to them? Yeah. But the problem is the Braves just keep winning the division and you're the Mets. Like the Braves can do stuff like that. The Mets. It's, it's really. just, you're putting, you're putting yourself in a bad, obviously in a bad position. I think just to, you know, to make that abundantly clear, we'll go to, to the tool that makes Fangraphs Fangraphs are playoff odds. That's there not you go. plenty of other places of playoff odds, but ours are the best. They are the best. Uh, the Mets division winning odds are four and a half percent. That's not that's not what you want. What's their playoff odds right now? Fifty nine point seven percent. So our so playoff okay. odds still feel pretty good about them being a wild card team. Mm. But keep in mind, uh, I just and I'll, I'll give you the preseason number too, just because I think that's that's the really important one here. Our preseason odds had the Mets as a twenty nine point seven percent chance to win the division. Mm. Those odds, you know, those already weren't great, and those odds have effectively been wiped out. Similarly, we had them at a 77% chance to make the playoffs. That's all the way down to, f- that's already lost 20 points on its own, too. Mm. They've already shaved off a lot of margin for error in just six weeks of baseball. You know, they have a lot of ground that they need to make up. You know, we have them now projected to win 89, 89 to 90 games. Again, preseason projection, uh, that's weird, it says 89 to 90 games, but whatever, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Point of it all being, the Mets mm. have hurt themselves with regards to, you know, with regards to their to their postseason hopes, and I, I don't want to do the yogiism that it's getting late early. Sorry, their projected win total now, their projected win total in the preseason was 90, now it's down to 85 and a half. You know, they've cut four and a half wins off their projected win total. That's really, really bad. Yeah. Especially because the Braves are now projected to win 100 games. You know, and I, mean, I, I think I don't know. I mean, again, like you just said, the, the Braves were down ten and a half in that division last year and came back to win it. I'm not going to say now for sure that the division is lost, but it's getting really close to that point. You know, yeah. and for as much as the wild card is not the worst thing in the world there, you're still competing with the Phillies, with the with the loser of Dodgers, Dodgers, Padres, with the Diamondbacks, with potentially the Pirates, with potentially the Cubs or the Brewers, you know, with potentially the Marlins. I mean the NL the NL picture is a little weaker I think than the AL picture is overall but still it's it's you don't want to put yourself in a position where your only way into the playoffs is the wild card but right now that's that looks like that's what the Mets have done to themselves already. John, how would you uh explain to the folks who have not paid attention to what happened to the Pirates over the last 2 weeks? How would you explain what's what happened in their fall from grace here? Is it just injuries? Is it just uh, the law of averages? What's happened? I mean, I think there was bound to be some regression at some point, but I think also it's the simplest explanation is they've just stopped hitting. Mm. Um, I'll give you their here from from May 1st through May 10th, which incorporates their most recent losing streak and slide. The Pirates are, uh, sorry, they rank third to last in baseball in WRC Plus at 53. As a team, they're hitting 179, 270, 276. Their batting average on balls in play is a mere 240, the second worst mark in baseball over that period of time. Only the Twins have been worse in that degree. Their strikeout rate, 26.1%. Again, only the Twins have been worse in that span of time. What has also happened with the Twins in the last week? I, I'm just now looking at this. What on earth? But that I, someone, Whoever wins the AL Central is going to have a losing record. I, I want that to be that. what happens here. I need them to be under 500, whoever wins I, I'd this I'd also division. like to note, every team in the AL East has a better record than every team in the AL Central. <laughs> It's it, it, If this year does not convince Major League Baseball that divisional format is simply no longer a functional thing, I don't know what's going to do it, because you have two, both central divisions have effectively stopped trying. Mm-hmm. And I... It, it, whatever. Um, I won't the, join you on this boat. I love some real sicko stuff of the Twins getting to host another playoff series against the Yankees in a wild card round and just getting God. ousted immediately. One, one more stat on the Pirates. Mm-hmm. Uh, home runs hit since uh, May 30th or since May 30th, since May 1st. Number mm-hmm. one in that category, the Atlanta Braves with 18. It's what we do. K's and HR's. That's what Atlanta does. Uh, 29th in that category, the Pittsburgh Pirates with three. Mm. Only Cleveland is it fewer. And Cleveland is it two. <laughs> Cleveland, I feel like, over the last like seven years, leads this yeah, category. Yeah, Cleveland, it's... Ben Clemens wrote about Cleveland's offense for us uh, this week and noted pretty convincingly that yeah this is cleveland this is what you should expect from cleveland's lineup there is no power here 
there's not a lot of strikeout. There's a lot of contact, but it's not exactly optimized contact. You know? And then, like, Cal Control's like, I'm doing what I can. What do you want me to do? Like, not come out and be awesome? I mean, look, they're already making the right moves by doing things like demoting Zach Plesak. But yeah. regardless, the, the big problem the Pirates are in into is they've just stopped hitting. And mm-hmm. I think if you were to look at that, if you look at that lineup, I don't necessarily know that that should come as a huge surprise. I mean, the big surprise was that that lineup was hitting in the first place because you're looking up and down and going, who the hell are most of these guys, you know? Like, I, I don't really, like, I should say, Brian Reynolds, I think, is, is you know, obviously a legitimate hitter. Carlos mm-hmm. Santana and Andrew McCutcheon are, are venerated veterans with, you know, lots of, of, of success in their past. Brian Hayes is a great pedigree, if nothing else, you know, Connor Joe seems like a nice guy, but again, like this is this is Losing not O'Neal a lineup. Cruz sucks. Yeah, and this is I think where you start to feel the impact of O'Neill Cruz the most because that mm. that was legitimate, liter- legitimately beyond Reynolds, the the other guy in that lineup who you felt like could keep chugging along regardless. You know, who mm. had the the sheer talent and the tools uh, to end up an above average hitter even amidst the swoons and whatnot. The rest of these, the rest of this lineup is not really that. You know, it's you know it, it's. Which is not to that's not to say Jack Sawinski and Connor Joe and and Austin Hedges well Austin Hedges is a bad hitter but that's not to say that like guys like Connor Joe and Jack Sawinski are without hope but at the same time like that's not, again not a lineup you're expecting to produce a ton of runs so I think there has been some understandable and kind of predictable regression to the mean for some of those guys the other part of it is that again this as has always been the case with the Pirates or seemingly feels like it's always been the case with the Pirates. When you're not spending money on the roster, when you're not bringing in, you know, uh, top tier free agents, when you're not, you know, making trades to bring in those kind of impact players, when you are relying on guys like Sawinski and Jiwon Bay and Santana, you do leave yourself more vulnerable to to slumps like this because you don't really have those hitters. And again, this is where where Cruz would have been so big. You don't really have those hitters to to you know boost things. I mean, consider the fact that right now. The Pirates are starting Chris Owings at shortstop. I legit thought he had retired three years ago. <laughs> I had no idea Chris Owings was still in baseball, you know? Mm-hmm. This, you know, when you look at what the, who the Pirates have used recently, it, it feels a lot more like, oh, yeah, this is the Pirates we were expecting. You know, Miguel mm-hmm. Andujar, Chris Owings, Tucapita Marcano. Like, these are nowhere near impact hitters. These are guys you're, you're throwing out there because you literally don't have anything else. And I think similarly, pitching-wise... I mean, pitching-wise, it's a little different because guys like Johan Oviedo and Ron C. Contreras, and especially Mitch Keller, who looks like he's taken a really big step forward, Pittsburgh wants to develop those guys. They're not going to, and I think it, understandably and reasonably so, they're not going to sign cheap veterans to pitch in those guys' place. They need these guys to develop because they need to know what they have in them. But I think similarly, when you get when those guys start to struggle and there's really no backup options there, when you're just letting these young guys take their lumps, this is what you end up with, you know, and some of that is, you know, the, the bad luck of injury of like, say, you know, Vince Velasquez being hurt, uh, O'Neill Cruz obviously being hurt, G-Man Choi being hurt, not, you know, because he is a very useful uh, platoon bat there. Really, I think it's, it really is just a matter, I think, that Pittsburgh just doesn't really have the horses to keep hitting like that or to keep hitting the way that they did. And are they going to be as bad an offensive team uh, going forward? No, I don't think so. But at the same time, this also wasn't this wasn't a good offensive team last year. Do you know what mm. I mean? Like this is not this is not like the Yankees are in a slump and you're like, well, they're the Yankees. They're they're going to be better because look at all the guys who are on that who are in that roster. Again, just looking just purely just by WRC plus last year, the Pirates finished 28th in baseball with an 84 WRC plus. Hmm. And for the most part, that lineup hasn't really changed all that much. There've been some there've been some shuffling at the margins, but the core of it is is essentially the same. So. You know, I, I think it sucks because I really, you know, we I think we were all enjoying the Pirates and what they were doing, the possibility that, hey, maybe there's, you know, that maybe there's a little run here. Maybe there's a little more than we expected. I think what we might be seeing is that this Pirates team, I think we're kind of getting that sense. I think what we're getting in this Pirates team is starting to see a little in advance what they might be going forward. Hmm. Not just in terms of the guys they have now and how those guys are going to develop, like Sawinski and Bay, and now that they have Reynolds locked down long term and Cruz when he comes back healthy, but you know the guys who are in that farm system and who are going to step up and help them eventually, like Andy Rodriguez, like uh, sorry, their number one pick from a couple years ago, whose name I'm already forgetting, and I really should not be forgetting, and I'm just kind of stalling for time while I look it up. Henry Davis, you know, while they wait for Tamar Johnson, while they wait for you know those guys are eventually going to be the guys who are going to make the biggest difference at the end. But we're not going to see those guys until next year, probably. Maybe we mm. see Andy Rodriguez get a cup of coffee at some point in 2023. But otherwise, you know, you're you're kind of waiting a little longer to see the the kind of meat of Pittsburgh of 
Pittsburgh's the meat of Pittsburgh system really start to come up and produce, and that includes the pitchers too. You know that includes, uh, excuse me, that includes guys like Mike Burrows and Quinn Priester who are both down uh, in AAA right now. And I don't necessarily know. You know these are guys who you know they've pitched a grand total of thirty innings in AAA right now. I don't imagine the Pirates are all that close to to wanting to bring either of them up, but. You know, I, I think what April represented for the Pirates is a sense of like there's hope on the horizon, but yeah. I think it was probably a little premature to be like the hope is here now. I like that. That was a succinct way to end it. I, I like it. And Thanks. you know what's better? You play in the NL Central. Look at the Orioles. And that's, Orioles and that's making progress, thing. and they're still just kind of screwed. Um, where <laughs> that's I'll, the other thing is that the, the ceiling for the Pirates doesn't have to be that high because as we've no. seen with the Central nobody's really trying and nobody cares yeah so they could be a playoff team easily next year like there's a clear path for them I, to really compete next year and i think spot. even regardless of what happens well i mean regardless of what happens but you know depending on the rest of the season goes you can adjust that as needed but like i said i think april gives you the hope that hey this can actually be a playoff team relatively soon maybe not a playoff team with a super high ceiling and maybe not a playoff team that ever really does more than you know secure a wild card berth or maybe a surprise division berth but at least a more competitive roster than we've seen out of Pittsburgh in the last five years or so. Speaking of the NL Central, John Taylor. Oh, boy. The the Arizona Cardinals, also a train wreck. Every, everyone who's a Cardinal is basically a train wreck. I was going to say, if you've named your team after the bird or the color, you're you're just screwed. Actually, is, that, is Stanford bad in, in, in any particular way right now? I mean, football, they're pretty terrible. They just fired their coach. Like, but like, were they, were, they, bad. were they good aside from the brief Ty Willingham stint? Oh, in baseball? Yeah, I mean, they're solid. No, I mean, they're in, always in, in a top football. 25 team. Oh, uh, I mean, yeah, Andrew Luck was, was there. Oh, that's right. He was, yeah. See, yeah. this is this is what happens when a baseball the guy The Jim Harbaugh era was pretty good. And then the early part of David Shaw was good. And then the last, like, seven, they just, they were refusing to play the NIL game. And we ah, don't okay. the NIL game. Oh, well, it's, well, I can understand why. They're the Ivy of the West. So, yeah, so you know, they not. would not deign themselves to think of so low a prospect as paying a student athlete for their labor yeah but yes the cardinals of the national league central are an absolute dumpster fire i mean you we joked like take graphs you saw it but you don't want to go all the way out and now they're the worst team in a division with a lot of bad teams john Mm -hmm. and i i didn't see this coming like this is no no i don't think anyone saw this coming no i mean where do you go here like what happens does it get worse can they climb out who do you blame the most for this just completely imploding Uh, apparently all the blame belongs with yadier molina because he apparently was the only guy who knew how to do pitch preparation in st louis that that so Hmm. i'll start with the wilson Contreras stuff because i think it's it's most emblematic of of just entirely what's gone wrong in st louis which it seems like they have just decided that there's no point in trying be, or let me let me say that better what seems to have been the case in st louis or what seems to be the case in st louis is that everything is just kind of stagnated mm. you know that there just seemed to be this kind of idea it's like oh well we're just gonna have yadier molina and adam wainwright forever and everything will be great what i don't really understand is you had a year to prepare for yadier molina no longer being the catcher of the cardinals because of his very you know demonstrative like i'm retiring and i'm going away and you're not going to have yadier molina anymore like this should not have caught the cardinals by surprise that it's to go into the whole Contreras thing that the catcher they got to replace yadier molina is not yadier molina Mm. and i think that's where when i say stagnation i think there's this very like there's this huge seemingly lack of imagination in st louis there's this real lack of like of of free thinking or of even new thinking I, mm. I, I don't understand why the expectation was that Wilson Contreras was just going to do what Yadier Molina did. They are not, obviously not the same player, but particularly not the same player when it comes to their defense. And that's, you know, that's not as much a knock on, on Contreras as it is kind of propping up Molina, but Contreras has never been a great defensive catcher. And mm. the Cardinals had to know that when they signed him. It's not exactly like that was a secret. There are all kinds of numbers that will tell you that now. To say nothing of the fact that he has been playing for one of their division rivals for literally his entire career. All they had to do was literally watch a Cubs-Cardinals game one time, watch watch Contreras behind the plate and go, oh, okay, I guess, well, maybe that's not what we want. And look, I, I don't know what's going Fair. on behind the scenes. Maybe there's some weird culture or personality fit that's just not working out here with Contreras and the pitching staff. But it just fundamentally, to me, does not make sense that either the Cardinals thought that Contreras was just going to, to take over seamlessly from Molina and that everything was going to be the same. That just... That just, that just speaks to a total lack of foresight and planning. 
it also just says it, it's also just insane to me that they looked at this pitching staff, which I think everyone before the season looked at and went, that's not a great pitching staff. Like this mm-hmm. is not a particularly impact group of guys. When Jordan Montgomery is your clear number one, something can you really be surprised when they're not performing well? Like that this being is, said, but they didn't think it was gonna be this bad. Like not well, but like average. Like we thought they would sure, probably and I, I be expected average. average too. This I is should say I expected horrible. Average. This is not average. This is like the season's over. Like you, this is a clean house type situation now. And this is what makes me think that ultimately the blame has to go to John Mazeliak and Ollie Marmel. Mm. Like, if you're Mazeliak, I don't. And this is a this has been a common refrain of mine for the Cardinals with for a bit now. But I don't know how you could go into the season with that rotation and feel like you had enough. And similarly, I don't know, I don't understand in the least how you can look at Contreras and one, make him the scapegoat, and two, decide that the best way to recoup his value is to put him at a position where he has to produce more in order to be better relative to the position, and you create a logjam where guys like Nolan Gorman no longer have easy playing time. Mm. How does this help you? How does it help you to get Andrew Knizer's bat, or Knizer, Nisner, White Molina, how does it help you at all to get his bat in the lineup? He's not even a good defender. That's the other side of it. Like, what I think, why I, why I just kind of zero in on Moselic is because these moves do not feel like they are being made by someone who is a clear, is thinking clearly, or who has like a plan of action for how to fix this. This feels like throwing everything you can against the wall, seeing what sticks, and then scraping off what sticks into onto a plate and trying to serve it to people. Be like, what about this? Do you like this? How about this? Like, there there does not seem to be anyone in charge right now, you know, or at least the people who are in charge don't seem to have any ideas beyond, well, why don't we blame the catcher? And I think that extends to Marmol, too, and I think you could get that sense when that whole uh, dust-up with Tyler O'Neill happened, where he got called out for not running all the way out to first base, which... That happens. I mean, we saw it happen to uh, something similar happen with Javi Baez, where he forgot how many outs there were, and A.J. Hinch immediately pulled him, and that seemed to get Baez's head on a little straighter. But the way Marmol went about it, and I think the way that, you know, O'Neal particular seemed kind of uh, upset that it was, you know, why am I getting called out in the press over this? Why is this not an in-house discussion? Mm. That's kind of, that's worrisome to me, because that's the kind of thing, it's like, you can't be doing this stuff to piss off players like that and potentially lose a clubhouse like three days into the season. That mm. does not speak well of Ali Marmol's leadership uh, capacity or capabilities. And neither does this Contreras stuff, honestly. You're the manager. This team is under your charge. I don't care if it's someone else's responsibility to get the pitchers ready, if it's someone else's responsibility to lead those meetings. You have to be the one to stand up and say, it's not good enough and that's my fault. You cannot be going out there and saying, actually, the catcher is the problem. We need to move the catcher. That is ducking responsibility in a really, really hard way. And I think that pretty well sums up to me what seems to be the problem in St. Louis is that no one in charge seems either willing to be in charge or has the ideas necessary to be in charge. And it does kind of give you the feeling like this this franchise does seem to have been kind of floating in a sense, that there's not really been that step forward that other franchises have taken at least with regards to optimizing the roster, with regards to getting the most out of your players. And granted, St. Louis has done really well with its player development, although I think there are some, there are some red flags there too in guys like Dylan Carlson and the way that has kind of played out, in the way Tyler O'Neill has seemingly gone backwards, in the way that none of the pitching has really uh, panned out, I think, the way St. Louis, none of the homegrown pitching at least. Some of that's been injury, but you know, at the same time, like nothing St. Louis is doing really seems to be working at this point. And while I think, you know, you're right, we all expected average, I don't think anyone expected anything this bad, but it does seem to me like, you know, if this is a franchise where it does, again, feel like no one's really in charge and everything is just kind of floating along aimlessly, this is exactly the kind of thing that can happen. You know, the things can just go crashing down in an absolute hurry because there's no one behind the scenes to get things back in order and say, no, this is, we're going to try this, we're going to do that. And for it not only to be, you know, a you know, decisive, but also with some actual logic behind it. So I think that's really what's missing in St. Louis right now. I think, again, why ultimately just falls, to me, it falls on Mazeliak and Marmol. You know, I, I don't really see how either of them survives this season if this keeps going as it does. And I think it's really hard to argue that either of them should. Although, the one really funny thing about the Cardinals right now, so they are 13-24, and 24, they are seven and a half games out of first place in the Central. One, the fact that being 11 games under 500 only leaves you seven and a half games out of first place. Do you want to know what the Cardinals' odds of winning the NL Central are? I, I'm going to say like 62%. 
<laughs> that'd be incredible 17 percent. oh wow wanna... i just went full nl central doubt like just even with this horrible horrible situation i was gonna be like still somewhere in the 50s do you 60s. know what the 22 and 14 rangers who are actually leading the american league west do you know what their division winning odds are 20 percent, 31.3 percent hmm there's not a huge gap between those two and yet the rangers are 10 games better than the cardinals in the standings overall that's the nl central baby you can be so far into last place that you can barely <laughs> see the sun be projected to finish below 500 and there is still a one in five chance you win the division with those numbers it, well, it's speak- really something well speaking of the rangers our, our two teams we're going to highlight here this week john taylor okay one of them is the seattle mariners okay we're flirting with 500 here they're not having the best season some guys are popping some guys aren't but when you mentioned the rangers and this is something that i think is important and like a difference between the Mariners flirting with 500 and the Rangers having this bigger lead versus like the Mets being at 500 or below 500 in the NL East. Like it's a going to be a lot more difficult and arduous to make up that kind of ground in the Braves this summer. Like it's just yeah. going to be a lot harder. What if you're around 500, like Mariners fans, just calm down. Like just the area in the Northwest St- hover around 500 for long enough, make some deadline deals and you'll be right there to win the AL West because the Houston Astros are having a season from hell. The injuries are piling up there. They're not running away with this division. Like that, I think that I don't ship think, has sailed. I, that's the thing. I don't think any. I don't think anyone is running away with this division. Even when you and I know we'll talk about the Rangers, but um, in particular, like you said with Houston, like I, I think things will get better for them once Altuve uh, gets back. But the other side of things is now they're taking really big rotation hits. They're down yep. Luis Garcia for the rest of the season and into next because he blew out his elbow. Yep. Jose Urquidy is going to be out for the next few months. You know, Urquidy particularly, not a not a great starter. But again, those guys are depth. Those guys mm. are above average pitchers. You're really testing your rotation depth now at a time when you are also really testing your lineup depth. You know, I Houston's in for a tough one right now, it yep. feels like. Particularly when you include the fact that, you know, Alex Bregman is in a bad slump, although he should get out of it. Jose Abreu has really not been productive, and I think there are some really significant worries there with regards to, you know, whether or not he's capable of getting back up to his previous levels of production. It's it's gonna be it's gonna be really interesting to see what Houston does here. I mean, the the weird one now is that Michael Brantley was, you know, looked like he was about to be uh, you know, back from his injury rehab mm. and now has suddenly disappeared to the point where uh reporters asked Dusty Baker where Michael Brantley is and he's like, I don't know. Yeah. You just think they just like he you know, something weird is going on there and I who knows what it is, but Houston is not in an ideal position right now. You're right. And I don't I don't think this is that back I don't, and forth, by the way. If you don't know what we're talking about, Chandler Rome, uh beat writer from the program of the athletic uh, outline the back and forth there <laughs> what dusty baker when he's like so what's up with brantley uh, he's not hitting okay is he injured no and then you're just like okay then what what's what, you're just like okay i'm just not getting an answer here what, what yeah. are we talking about what's happening yeah where it's just the weird secrecy about it is yes. is, 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 is strange but um i think but i i definitely agree with you that there's not a there's not a big astros run coming i don't no. feel like and it does this is at the very least these are not this astros team is not last year's Astros is not the year before's Astros, you know, there's a marked break here, I think, that leaves the AL West more open than it's been in years at this point. Yeah, and I mean, couldn't you still see a clear path for the Mariners to win this division? Absolutely, I could see a clear path for any of the Angels, Rangers, or Mariners to win it if any of them can get hot enough for long enough a period of time. I mean, look at our playoff odds as they stand right now, and as of today, our division odds in the AL West... Houston, 44%. Texas, 31.3%. The Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, 14.4%. And the Mariners, 10.4%. I don't think I need to tell you what the A's are at. But so our system still likes Houston the most. But consider, too, that, you know, that's those, you know, 44 to 31 is a a decent sized gap. But Mm. by projected wins and losses, Houston's projected, we have them at 88 wins. Texas at 86. Angels at 83 the Mariners at 82. That's a really narrow band right there. And again, one hot streak is all it takes for one of those teams. It's not uh, even just like a hot streak. It's just Julio Rodriguez being good again. Yeah. Like, oh, that's like, it. That's as simple as it gets for the Mariners. You know? yeah. And I think, look, e- each of these teams definitely has problems to a certain degree. I think the Mariners have an offense that even with Julio Rodriguez hitting well, has not really produced. And I think was a concern of theirs coming into the season that there just were not enough bats. That in particular at positions like second base... Uh, well, we joked about Wong like Jared really Kalinick 
turning into a great hitter cost the it's like what did it cost for jared clinic to yeah, figure it out it's a real everything. monkey's it's a real monkey's paw scenario for every mariners <laughs> fan who's like i just want jared clinic to be good and then the julio rodriguez finger curls down <laughs> but like you know and i i think texas has definite issues uh with the rotation yep. with regards especially with jacob Degrom, not really knowing if and when he's going to come back this season uh the bullpen also will smith and jose leclerc have both been awful uh, as the kind of co-closers to a certain degree, I have to imagine that if Texas stays in the race, they're going to be very aggressive going after bullpen help because Bruce Bochy is not a guy who's just going to sit there and be like, ah, I don't need relievers. No, Bruce Bochy needs his relievers. Uh, and the Angels are the Angels, and I don't really think I need to go into any more depth about that. But for each of them, there is definitely a path. I mean, Texas has a ridiculous lineup that is clicking on just every level right now. Third best WRC plus in the majors behind the Rays and the Braves. By the way, just a fun fun factoid interruption. What do you what do you think the Rays WRC plus is right now? The Rays like yes. team WRC plus right yes. now. Yes. One twenty. One forty three. For just for just to give you a nice little comparison as to what a one forty three WRC plus is an entire means. Yeah. That is the entire team hitting like max muncie <laughs> that's a, that's on a, a one through nine of bryce harper right yeah. now there's gonna be two teams in the alleys who missed the playoffs who were actually legitimately really good this year yes yeah and all because the rays decided to have the yeah. best season in franchise history yep i digress you know texas has a very good offense seattle has a good pitching staff led by luis castillo and a very good bullpen the angels have literally shohei otani you know there are there are but also plenty... look at the three you got to mention the three right like the mariners have a solid three-man group like come playoff time you look at it castillo uh, kirby and gilbert you feel good about that that's probably right? the, that's probably the trio of those three al west teams that you feel best about yeah. again depending on Degrom's health like so i think there is very much a path for all three of them in the al west yeah um I don't want to try to pick a favorite now because I think it really is. I think it really at the end is going to come down to injury luck. Hmm. You know, I think it really is going to come down to for Houston. Can they get Altuve back healthy and can they find the pitching depth necessary to replace the guys they've lost? You know, for Seattle, it's I guess for Seattle, it's less about for Seattle. I think the injury luck is more. Can they stay healthy? You know, this is that's a team where I think more so than any other AL West team aside from the Angels. If they lose a star or a starter, they're in really, really big trouble. Hmm. And I think similarly for the Angels. The only path to an AL West title is a fully healthy Shohei Otani, a fully healthy Mike Trout, a fully healthy Anthony Rendon. I feel like everyone's got to be healthy because, again, that team has just never had the depth to be able to replace those guys. And with Texas, it's whether or not DeGrom comes back in one piece, you know, and what can you get out of him going forward? Can you get can you keep Corey Seager healthy on the field? It's funny we talk about DeGrom, you know, especially given that that rotation has plenty of other guys where you're like, uh, are you really going to get more than 120 innings out of this guy? Like, mm. how? You know, Andrew Haney, Nate Yavaldi, John Gray, like never, none of these guys are the pictures of, of durability. You know, Texas, I think, and I think we talked about this before the season, that for the Rangers, so much of this was going to be dependent on how, how much injury luck they could get with those guys. And so far, eh, I mean, I think you had to pencil in losing to Grom for some period of time in there. I don't think there was any realistic way he wasn't going to be down at some point. Mm-hmm. But you, if they're, if you're Texas, you're just holding your breath and hoping that this is not a Tommy John thing, that this is not a severe elbow injury. Yeah. Um, the Rangers because... are going to be the most interesting team this summer, I think, in the AL. Like, do they keep this together? Because if they do, the offensive firepower is fun. Like, they're a team that I think a lot of folks do not want. Uh, or, like, they're just... I don't know. The Rangers are fascinating, uh, but also I think well, I think a, I think a Rangers playoff series would be like every game would finish like twelve to eight, right? Like I think fun. if you're baseball, you want the Rangers in there. Yeah, you want you want like a Rangers Yankee series. That would just be <sighs> throw it back to the late nineties. Get yeah. Pudge Rod out there to throw a first pitch. Get Juan Gonzalez. Go on and dig up Rusty Greer. Make sure he doesn't hurt himself throwing a first pitch. I loved Rusty was a uh, on that team. Oh, those late 90s Rangers, yeah. that, like Ken Hill and like, or I don't know if Ken Hill was on the late 90s Rangers. He was on the late 90s a- Angels. Was Bartolo? Uh, I guess was that? Yeah, I think so at some point. Here, I'm Bartolo just looking at the, I'm looking at the yeah. 98 Texas Rangers. You got Pudgerod, you got Will Clark, Mark McLemore, Fernando Tatis Sr., Rusty mm. Greer, Lee Stevens, big Lee okay. Stevens guy over here, Rick Helling, Aaron Seeley. John Burkett, Darren Oliver back in his Darren prime. Darren Oliver is one. There you go. Uh, this this one just Bobby Witt senior. Um, <laughs> too many seniors now. I'm I'm not really enjoying that. Mm-hmm. The weird one is going to be when we have to start referring. I guess 
I'm, I'm thankful that Andrew Jones's kid goes by Drew Jones because I was yeah. really not ready for Andrew Jones Sr. That was going to be a really hard one to swallow. Yeah. But uh, the name Todd Van Poppel just jumped out at me, so I'm, I'm That's one I legally remember. obligated to say it out loud. John Wetland. Uh, John Wetland's another one. But yeah, let's 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 throw it back to that. I, I, let's 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 get rid of Yankees Twins. No one wants to see that anymore. We're, we're done yeah. with Yankees Twins. You know, do it for Johnny Oates. Do Where's it for Mark Doug Loretta? Melvin. Do it for do do it for do it for Royce Clayton. There you go. Uh, last team here, John. As we wrap up, the Miami Marlins, who are sure. right there around five hundred. They're okay. Sure. Yeah. Why not? Arias is good. Yeah. They're okay. Yeah, I guess. I mean, look, the, the thing about the Marlins and, and what's going to keep me from thinking they're the Marlins' record in one-run games is eleven and zero. That's sustainable. Yes, exactly, and that's the thing. Like, in, which is not to say that just because of that, the Marlins aren't a good team, but it's like their record is being propped up by something they have no control over that is completely unsustainable. And even even if you could say, oh well, you know, well they maybe they got a great bullpen, and that's what this is not a great bullpen that the Marlins have. This is not the this is not the Yankees of years previous. This is not the the Wade Davis, Greg Holland, uh, Kelvin Herrera Royals. Like this is an okay bullpen. This is not a team that should be 11 and 0 in one run games for any reason other than they flipped a coin 11 times and got heads 11 times. You know what I mean? Like, and the problem again with the Marlins as it just continues to be forever, they can't hit. They just cannot hit. You know, this is by WRC. What is weird though is Jorge Soler's hitting again, which is good. Nine dingers already. Good I for him. Jorge Soler's playing well. Missed yeah. A WRC plus right now of 87, which ranks 24th in the majors, a weighted on base average of 297, which ranks 28th in the majors, a slugging percentage of 375, which ranks 24th in the majors, like uh, a walk rate of 6.6%. That is dead last in the major leagues. Like this is not an offense that is built to do anything other than run into a, a solo home run every now and again, mm. or maybe thanks to guys like Arias or Jazz Chisholm, you know, scrape together a few extra base hits. And it, there's just not a good enough offense here for this team to be anything other, I think, than a borderline 500 team, one way or the other. And like that's probably better than. Is that enough to save everybody's jobs? That's a good question. I, I it's it's weird because on the one hand, I want to. I want to say no because, you know, a 500 team just really should never be enough in that regard as if you're trying. But on the other hand, I don't know that the Mar- that Marlins ownership cares at a certain point. Mm-hmm. I think the most important thing to Marlins ownership is, did you keep the, the payroll under $100 million? Yes? Okay. That is that is the most important thing that needs to happen in Miami. So I, I don't know. And I think some of that, too, is, you know, how is the farm system developing? I mean, we're going to see mm-hmm. a really important piece of it soon with Yuri Perez, who's going to make his MLB debut uh, this week against the Reds, he's their number one prospect. He's an awesome pitcher. He's like six foot eight. He's very cool. Um, but I think again, like the the problem in Miami just continues to be they don't have offense. And then on top of that, when they do decide they want to go get offense, they do it by getting rid of a guy in Pablo Lopez. Where it turns out eh, maybe they should have kept Pablo. Lopez. As good as, and look, the Lopez Arias trade has been good for both sides. I was gonna say, I mean, but. The, the problem, I think, was that the Marlins didn't have the pitching depth that I think we all thought they did in order mm-hmm. to make that deal work the way it should have, you know, and or they needed to do more than that. You know, yeah. there needed to be more than just Luis Arias. It needed to be more than just hoping Jorge Soler would, you know, get a little better again. Like, there, th- there's just not enough being done, I think, to raise this team's ceiling meaningfully, and I think ultimately that's... That I mean, if I were in charge of the Marlins, that would be my problem to be like, why is there not more being done here? But there's not more being done here because Marlins ownership, I think, just doesn't care to do all that much more. So I don't know if it's enough for I don't know if that's going to cost K-Mang her job. But at the same time, I'm you know, it, it doesn't really seem like this, the solutions being sought are actually solutions here. You know, it's more just kind of, you know, again, in dealing Lopez to get a as you're robbing Peter to pay Paul. Like you need both. You have to have both. You can't just have one. I also love the disparity between Luis Arias and Jazz Chisholm, where it's like 34% K percentage for Jazz, and Luis is 6%, and has a 429 Babbitt, uh, 166 WRC+. plus. I mean, what would he have to do with the kind of player that he is? Like, just no power whatsoever, but just an absolute pain in the ass, and just you're assuming he's getting on base at least once, maybe twice, every single game. Like, is there a way for him to to maneuver his way into the NL MVP conversation. Sure, he has to hit 400. Okay. 
Like, I think a, a guy like Arias, because like you said, there's no power really coming from that bat. He's playing in a, for a, a mediocre team and a mediocre yeah. lineup in a small market nobody's paying attention to. He's got to do something like hit close to 400 or something, I think. Mm. Which is not, it's not out of the realm of possibility. I mean, Luis Arias is maybe the best bat-to-ball hitter in the majors right now. But it's really, it's... That's, I think, the level that he needs to be at because everything... And, and and again, the, the other part, too, is there's no contribution on defense here. There's no contribution base running-wise. You know, it's all on the bat. And so he's really, you know, it really does have to be um, something like hitting close to 400. There you go. John Taylor, that's all I've got. Uh, your pick of the week for Fangraphs for the good folks who are going to go visit Fangraphs.com after yeah, listening to this episode. Will, What's your piece? If, if you don't, I will come to your house and yell at you until you do. There you go. I will, will. find out where you live. Mm-hmm. Okay, now now it's starting to sound like a threat. Um, <laughs> I think it's, it began with the threat, it, no, John. Yeah, it began as a threat and it just It was kind just of a more kept... intimidating. It was a more elaborate threat, yeah. Uh, I'd like to highlight an ongoing series we're doing with our prospects, uh, called prospect report imminent 2023 imminent big leaguers where ordinarily at Fangraphs, you know we do our big team by team prospect lists from our prospect dude eric longenhagen with a contribution Mm -hmm. from tess teruskin our other prospect writer this year we're changing things up a bit to get the focus uh while we put together those very long very in-depth lists to give people a focus on the guys who are getting closer to the majors and who might make an impact this year that you should know about uh the most recent one we did was on the cubs that came out on tuesday uh, a very detailed breakdown of uh, about a good solid two dozen players in the Cubs system who are trending toward making a major league debut either this season or next. So we're talking about guys like Pete Crow Armstrong, uh, Ben Brown, as well as guys or well as guys who are already up like Hayden Wisniewski and Matt Mervis and Miguel Amaya. So you know if you for Cubs fans, obvious you know obviously go check that out and then go yell at us to tell us what we got wrong. Uh, for fans of all teams, you know, we're, again, as we're putting these together, come check it out, you know, get a better sense of who's coming in the system. We'll, we'll have, all these teams are going to get full prospect write-ups at some point, so you're going to learn more about the the international signings, the, the recent draft picks, the, the hotshot teenagers. But this, I think, is a, an interesting way to get a different view of a farm system with still the same level of, 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 you know, expert evaluation that Eric gives. But again, that's a little more focused on guys that, you know, are going to be up a little sooner and that you might recognize a little sooner. So if you are a team, a fan of a team like the Cubs where you are in contention right now, you know, you, you know, this is as opposed to a team like say, Oh, I don't know the Oakland A's where you know contention is nowhere near the picture. Like this is a way to get, to get to know better the guys who might actually be coming up this summer to help to start targeting those guys in advance. So I want to recommend that one. If you go check it out on our site, you'll see links to all the other ones we've done, uh, both full lists and some of these imminent big leaguer ones. Definitely go check that out. Eric and Tess put a lot of work into their scouting, and it, it really shows when you read it. So that is my pick for this week's Fangraph's best piece to pick. Click. <laughs> click click the pick. That was great. I love that. We don't Good. call him advertising John for nothing. They, wait, wait, people call me that? No, oh, people don't okay. call you that. That was good, though. Um, John Taylor, always a pleasure, and uh, I will talk to you next week. Sounds good. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 